Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's interview features Alma Zaragoza Petty. We're talking about her newly released book, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice. I really enjoyed this conversation with Alma. Some of uh, the stuff she discusses in her book resonated with me. And, um, you know, I thought it was really cool that, you know, I think it resonates with a lot of other people. And she kind of talks about that, how uh, we all have an inner badass. We all can be a chigona. Um, But I'll let you guys uh, listen for yourselves. Here is Alma Zaragoza Petty. So today we've got Alma Zaragoza Petty. We're talking about her newly released book, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice. It's available now. Alma, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed this book and I enjoyed like your authenticity and, you know, it's like a mix of uh, memoir and self-help, which I thought was really cool. So I'm interested. I'm excited to, to chat with you more about it today. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. So to get started, can you give like like a little brief summary of the book for people who um, haven't read it yet can like follow along with the conversation? Yeah. So Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice is really a book about healing. So I think at its core, I wanted to tackle the issue of intergenerational trauma and healing and how that being able to deal with with that aspect of ourselves can really support the justice work that we might do in either our work or our personal lives and how really without us being healed it's going to be extremely hard to see the world healed because mm-hmm. we are replicating what's inside on the outside so that's the biggest kind of like takeaway if you will the crux of the book and the way that i go about explaining a lot of that is through my own experiences as a Mexicana and how this term chingona has been used to be, you know, has been reclaimed and has now become a way for us to identify, right? When, when we're like in the struggle, whether it's like social justice or whether it's like personal perseverance. And I really wanted a, a term that would capture this idea that healing is tough work, but it's so rewarding and it makes you a chingona to do it. Because I think often we think about healing and, you know, the depression or like the, the all of the mental health stuff that comes up with that as, you know, like just really hard work, vulnerable, like we don't want to do it. It's just not part of being a chingona. Mm. And what I'm saying is like, it is because it is so hard <laughs> and because mm. it takes so much courage and work and that's just another layer of what being a chingona is about. Mm-hmm. I love that. I and I like. I want to unpack all that because I, a lot of the stuff that you um, cover, which one of the things that I thought was really cool was pointing out the fact that like descendants from Mexico, like people who are native to Mexico, like often likely are descendants of you know when the Spaniards came over and clashed and conquered the um indigenous groups and i thought that was the way you put it because you were like kind of coming to terms with your own history as both the oppressors and the oppressed and i thought that was such an interesting way to look at it because i never i don't i guess i never thought about it that way where it's like you know but there are all regions all over the world that are very similar to that but i just thought it was so cool to look at it that way to to identify how both parties are a part of 
where you come from and what that means for you and what that means for your path going forward and how you like approach your path going forward. And I like how you touch upon, it's like the whole cliche of like, you can't take care of others if you don't take care of yourself first. And that's really what it comes down to is where, you know, like figure out your shit, fix your shit and then go fix, fix the other shit, like go <laughs> co- conquer the world yes. and go, yeah, put in the work in. Cause yeah, and it's true. Cause you know, I've, I've dealt with mental health, you know, my whole life and it's like, it's kind of like back and forth, but yeah, it's like, once you realize like it is empowering to embrace the tools and the resources that you have available to figure that out. And then once you do, it is like, you're absolutely right. Like it contributes to that badass part of you of like, I'm I'm taking charge. I'm handling it. I'm going to take care of it. And it's an ongoing thing. And yeah, it's a little, I mean, people can dread it, but that's like part, you know, that's part of the work where it's not, it's not supposed to be fun. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no one said, you know, uh, sign me up for therapy and like, yeah, excitedly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is. It is taking that first step. But then once you do, I feel like, yeah, it's almost a little refreshing. Like, well, this isn't so bad. Like I'm discovering a lot, you know, about myself. A, B, and C, all that good stuff. So I just, I just really enjoyed all that. Before we get into like all that and unpack that, what, you know, anybody who reads this book gets into your background, you, you know, you kind of share a lot and can you go through your background and maybe kind of go into how you came to a place where you wanted to develop this project? Yeah. So my background is really that of a daughter of immigrants. Um, When I was born, I was born in Los Angeles And I was, you know, I lived here for three years, but after that, my biological parents split and I was raised by my parents, my grandparents in Mexico, Acapulco specifically, Guerrero. And so this is a Western, South, Southwestern, I guess, um, part of the country where there's a lot of like tropical, there's, it's a very tropical place. Mm. And so I lived there until I was about seven or eight almost eight years old, and uh, then came back to the States. And I really feel that that experience really shaped my view in life. And I often feel a lot of similarities with um, third world culture kids, you know, people that kind of grew up on both sides of or different countries and Mm -hmm. don't really feel like there's a home. And like many Latinas who maybe are even second, third, fourth generations, right? Like we have this idea of like, we're Mexican or whatever your background is. For my case, it's Mexican. We're Mexican, but we're also American. And like, but I'm not really that American, but I'm also not that Mexican because of, you know, all these <laughs> different factors, you know, the whole like Selena complex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like as Gloria and Saldua states, you know, and, and I think one of the things that I really wrestled uh, was this bifurcation of like my own self and always feeling split in that way and mm. kind of seeing that, both, you know, now I think, you know, especially as I took on the project of the book, it was really about um, healing that or like understanding the the virtues that come from that as well. Because mm. while, yes, it's very painful that sometimes it's really hard to feel like at home anywhere or feel rooted in certain places. It's also true that because of that, I was able to really understand um, beyond my own culture, like some of the issues that, for example, like African Americans face in, in like our communities and, you know, mm. other people and some injustices that directly impact me and my community, but also others, you know, in our communities. And so having that perspective of just having both 
I guess, like having like this national perspective, but also that international perspective at the same Mm -hmm. time really helped me understand various struggles that people in the United States face and, and gave me the language and even just the, for me, like the drive to want to learn more. And so I have a background, um, as a, in counseling. So I have a master's in counseling and I also have a PhD in educational policy, social context, which is basically like the social political aspect of education. Mm. So not so much what happens in the class, but like how we've organized education in our society yeah, uh, along different, you know, positionalities, income, gender, you know, um, race. Like and- the institution has a big picture. Almost. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think a lot of my background is also what propelled me to go into education and really learn, you know, my own experience, really, I was really curious about like, why am I the only one that's like transferring <laughs> here? And why am I now the only Latina in this program and wanting to understand the historical roots of that? And, and that's what I take on in this book as well is like really unpacking, not just where we are, but why we are there. Mm. You mm-hmm. know, and I think, I think that that's one of the things that I really took to heart when I was writing this book is, I I love working with younger people and informing and teaching and, you know, learning with each other. And one of the things that I really feel like we cannot get tired of telling is like how we got here. Because if not, if you go by the narratives that you hear in, you know, mainstream media, you only hear Mm. our current state, but you don't hear why, (laughs) you know, you don't hear all of the redlining that our community also went through. Yeah. you know, the racist, like xenophobic policies that kept people from being able to even have, you know, good paying jobs, for instance. So, so yeah, so that's all that kind of really led up for me, to me writing this book and wanting to um, really understand myself from that, from an intimate perspective and my healing, but also simultaneously, like looking at broader issues and how all of that also impacted my life. Yeah, I thought that was interesting part of it too where you kind of I I mean I like your little history lessons and sprinkled in there because I don't know I just like if I if I'm learning while being entertained that I just that's a good pair for me so <laughs> I like I like feeling a little bit smarter when I'm finished reading um but yeah I thought that was like a really interesting thing and also really important to point out cuz I didn't I mean you hear about things here and there but I doubt that there are like a lot of people who are really putting in the work to learn exactly how you're saying it, like why things are the way they are and how, you know, racist people could just be like, oh, like one of the examples you illustrated was, you know, why one of your students was like, why should we care? It just sounded like, and that's such a simplistic way to look at it. It's like, well, they just didn't do well. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. no, like you, you're so ignorant. Like you, (laughs) do you realize like how ignorant your, your ignorance is showing when you say that, you know, because yeah, it's exactly like how many obstacles these, like these groups had to face when so many other groups just never have no idea what that's like. They have no idea because they didn't have to, you know, or even if like you want, you could throw affluent versus socioeconomic status and all that Mm -hmm. all those little factors too and it's so many people don't realize that um or at least well i think a lot of people do hopefully they're getting there but just things that i notice that are being said just the general attitudes of people who are you know it's like oh because they don't work harder they're not smart enough and i'm like i 
you know, people, some people are color, like especially Hispanics, they're like the hardest working people ever. And if like you want them out of our country, say goodbye to your produce. Like, mm-hmm. for example, like, you know, they, there are just so many, so many industries that would be so impacted if that actually happened, if that policy actually went through. But it's like, it's, it's like you're right. Like it's generational, it's decades and it's still trickling and it's still leaving such a bad taste and, in people's mouths of how how they view how things should be or why things are the way they are with disenfranchised communities and it's like well like be our guests like do some research to go figure out why you know why policies from 50 years ago their you know like their kids and their grandkids are still deal of like feeling that and it's so mm-hmm. It's so crazy to me. It's like not just like the overall attitude of ignorant people, but also like things that were that were passed that long ago are still like being felt and being just yeah. affecting so many. I um related a little bit to your story. Like I'm half Mexican, but my Mexican side was very Americanized. Um, my still have family who lives like mostly in Tijuana, but like San Diego area, they own properties and businesses on both sides of the border and you know, just kind of getting the insight as to like people living in, in Mexico, but they're going, trying to go to school in the States. And so like mm-hmm. every morning they kind of, they get in that traffic and they got to like kind of hide it. Like, wow. why were, why are you late? It's like, oh, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you don't want to say it was like, well, cause I was, I was hitting traffic crossing the border. <laughs> like, yeah. it was, things like that. Yeah. But it's, you know, and it bothers some people. I guess I understand that. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like it's so, because on my, that's like my maternal, grandfather's side of the family mm-hmm. my maternal grandmother's side um she was like from texas but like they have been there since before texas was texas like the border crossed mm-hmm. them and right. so it was like it's it's just yeah it's just stuff like that where it's like you know there's so much history and that go like ties back into generations and generations of and how other people's just the history of the country has affected you know, the way that people are living today. And, yeah. you know, that group of people in that region had to assimilate eventually, or they had to learn how to be right. American, even though they didn't move, they didn't do anything. Right. They didn't, you know, <laughs> and that's just, I don't know, I could go like off on a tangent and everything, but um, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, like some of your points just like really resonated. And it was so cool to like learn another person's like your story mm-hmm. from your perspective. And that's really cool how you used, um, you know, all of this to propel, you know, your ambitions forward. I just, mm-hmm. I love that. You kind of like touched into this, like your personal experiences. Do you think that like your professional life kind of prepared you at all to, to develop this story? Like going from... Mm-hmm an academic, you know, mindset to almost like more of a creative and more vulnerable yeah. place to to put this together. Yeah. So, you know, in many ways, even though I chose a much more academic and analytical path in terms of getting a PhD and the ways that we research and are allowed to share stories through that venue, uh, using data and that kind of thing. Um, one of the things that I realized is, you know, even even through the writing the the book was it actually showed me more of who I was as I was writing. And one of the things that I remembered was that I've always loved writing. Uh, Mm. Writing was a very big part of my life. And I have stacks and stacks of journals of like entries. I would journal all the time and I would get very creative and imaginative even as a child and, you know, and as a teenager, but I'm also very like 
I also love statistics, though, and I really loved like going into <laughs> as a psychology major. Like I remember really enjoying like understanding patterns that humans had and how do we like calculate for or predict. Yeah. And a lot of that had to do, I think, with anxiety, not yeah. back. <laughs> like wanting to predict the future and like wanting more like a clear path, right? Like wanting more control in that way. And so I think part <laughs> of my younger me was like really loving psychology because it was a path that kind of helped me explain people's behaviors that I saw always as problematic growing up, but never knew like the words or how to say it. Yeah. Because I also didn't want to go into like having deficit thinking about like my own community, right? Which is another, which was like, one of the things that really impacted me in my doctoral work is like, you know, I really had to find the right people and learn the the right things by, you know, taking classes in like, in, in other departments, not just my own, so that I could have a more complete picture, because it's very easy to, to always ascribe the reason why some populations don't do well is because they don't value education, for instance, mm. which is a very deficit minded way of thinking about it, yeah. instead of thinking of like the root causes, right. And so I really struggled with with that. But I also realized, you know, I minored in English literature, also as a psych major in undergrad. And I used to love like diving into different fiction and nonfiction stories and that was what really like what I really loved at the time. But I was like, I'm first gen. I don't have time to be a writer. <laughs> I have to get a job that's going to pay at least more yeah, than right. like, what a writer might pay. And so You're I like English had... and psychology. Yeah, it's kind of tricky to to roll with that. Like... <laughs> right. So I had to just be like, you know what? This will be kind of like my my plan B <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of thing because I really need want to wanted to like have some social mobility in my life as well. Right. And And I thought about what that might mean if I was the writer and how soon that might happen or not happen. So then I, I, I decided for that. And I also, I think was, which is wired in that way where I really enjoyed mm. it. Um, but even through then, like, you know, I've always um, have been a super avid reader of like nonfiction and fiction. Part of why I even chose to write Chingona was because in my own journey, uh, reading self-care, self-help development, you know, books, was like that longing to hear the story of a Latina going through that, right? Mm -hmm. like someone that I can relate to. And mm -hmm. while I did learn a lot from, you know, various white and black women about this topic, I just wanted something for us. Like I wanted yeah. like younger me to feel like, okay, there's, there's a book now that there's where we talk about healing. It doesn't even, I mean, I, I talk about my ethnicity and my culture, but that's not the focus, you know, that's more of like trying to unpack my whole intersectionality. But really what the focus is, is healing, right? And how mm -hmm. do you step into being owning your own self as a chingona and what that means? Because I was, that was the burden that I really carried with wanting to write this book was that I wanted a book that was not about being Latina, but it was clear that I was Latina, that it's about healing and that we could use as a way to normalize some of the things that we might have gone through, yeah. you know? as as first gen or working class background women yeah exactly well because it is like it's a specific perspective but it's so i feel like there's yeah like you said like there's so many young women i think who would benefit from mm -hmm. from having your perspective now out in the world like we're you can be that for them now because you were hope you wish that you had that as you were younger because yeah it's there's so many stories to tell and the story chingona it comes from like you didn't want to be like, oh, this is only for Latino women, but it's like, mm -hmm. 
I love how you're just like open about it. You're like, no, every everybody's <clears throat> everybody can be chingona. Like <laughs> it's like, no, you just gotta find it and you embrace mm-hmm. it. But yeah, it's just because your experience, I think, is so it's not uncommon for a lot of people. Like it's like first generation, second generation down the line. It's unique, but there I think that there's a lot of um people in that community that would benefit having having those kind of tools and that perspective that was more, more in line with their own, more in line with Mm -hmm. their experiences. So, um, you know, yeah, no, I I like that. I like the way you put it. And I like your overall like vibe, your energy that I got from this (laughs) book too. You know, I, like I said, I didn't relate to like every single thing I couldn't, but I, there were bits and pieces where I was like, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, or I was like, Nope. Yep. Or I was like, Oh, well, shit, that's interesting. Like, let's, let's see where she goes with that, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually had, um, you know, through the process of talking more about my book with different people, like I've, I had an interview with a few like white males and like different kinds mm. of people, right? Just because that's just kind of like the nature of it. Yeah. Your workout. And I was very pleasantly like surprised, um, to hear that even like white males have related to my story, even though like the specifics are not like, yeah true to them there's a lot of that i talk about that's just about the human condition right like about yeah. how we question ourselves how we yeah we may like belittle some of the things that we that are big in our lives and things that even like trauma like how we process maybe some of the hurts that we've had and and how we've been conditioned to think about it in a specific way and and offering instead like a different way to think about it or like yeah. when we you know re sort of um, structure how we even think about that thing. How can we think about this differently, uh, you know, as something that we can take from and grow from. And I think a lot of that's kind of what I've heard, even if you're not specifically a Latina, Mexicana, there's people you can still relate to it because Mm. it's about just, you know, a person's story and, and their path to like growth and healing. Yeah. One example, like, I love that, that you're absolutely right. And that's awesome that you you got some of the white men agreeing or or relating (laughs) to you a little bit. That's awesome. Um, One of the examples, though, is like when you mentioned like the imposter syndrome and like how our self-worth is tied to success. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's so like that expands so much further than like, at least in my opinion, I would say it expands so much further than the communities of color that pursue, you know, either education or career or all that. It's because that's definitely something that I've struggled with that I'm like, like I have two master's degrees. Like, of course I'm like, like if you like, that's just what something that, um, I don't know. It's, it kind of ties into imposter syndrome, but it's like, yeah, like what, what do I do if I'm not trying to, if I'm not pursuing a goal or if I'm not achieving something like, where does that place me? Like, am I, Am I going to be able to, am I going to be okay with myself if I'm not actively chasing something, you know, or, or working towards the next accomplishment? And I think, yeah, part of it, like when I realized it was just, I just have to find a way to like channel that extra like energy and, and brain power into like something, either like a hobby or something productive or, or, you know, just, it doesn't have to be like a milestone. It can just be like, something here and there and just kind of like having to renavigate and rewire your brain to, to, to do that and to not have your self-worth so, so strongly tied to success because mm-hmm. that's, that's where it's like, you're hanging in limbo. You're like, well, what now? Like, what am yeah. I, you know, it's like, no, you're still worthy of love. You're still worthy of praise. You're still doing a great job. Even if you're not working towards something or even if you have a setback or even if you like, 
don't do as well as you thought you would. Like you're still Mm -hmm. like, don't, you know, don't let it impact you that badly. It's kind of like, just use that move forward. And that's why I like, you know, I love that's like one of your things in that you mentioned that, which is like for, I guess for the Latino community, it means a little bit different. Like it, because it's that generation, like the multi-generational household and how that whole family dynamic and how, you know, there's so many things expected of you, but then also on the other side of that, it's like, well, how, like, how do you kind of use that? How do you kind of work mm-hmm. with that? Like, what would that mean? You know, you kind of, you touch about it a lot, but it's almost like, you know, your ancestors, they didn't, they didn't have time for that. They were just trying to like survive <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and, and they didn't necessarily have time to like self-reflect, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. would you, would you say that's, that's fair to kind of, to go off of? I mean, I I think so. And, and. And also, I would say, there, you know, any record of any of their knowledge and their accomplishments and achievements were also um, burnt, right? <laughs> like mm. when, when, there were, when, it, when Mexico was colonized by the Spaniards, all of a, lo- a lot of the documents and things. Um, yeah, that's know, there's, true. There's only a few surviving things that we're able to learn. For instance, the the Vopul and the um some of the Aztec kind of teachings and learnings that were translated before they were sort of yeah. like also burned down or whatever. So and yeah, I mean, you know, in as much as like like any other sort of, you know, population that yeah, there there were just like us in, in that or and had different kinds of fights, right? And one in one of the chapters I talk about sort of you know, where my mother had to cross lands and physical lands as a way for her to grow and, and expand and survive. Um, she gave us, she gave me the opportunity to think about different lands to cross, emotional lands, yeah. intellectual lands that like she didn't have the capacity for because she was just on survival mode yeah. for, for so long. And, you know, my, including, and also my grandparents, we come from a very, um, sort of working impoverished cl- background uh in Mexico and so it was you know it was like you work and you find work or you don't survive like there's yeah. no you know and so yeah to that degree i guess you know there is that survival that just kind of had to happen um but also you know there's there's also a lot with just the colonization and how that's even imprinted in a lot of us this idea that uh, we're all, you know, this imposter syndrome because of the mm. violence and the inferiority, superiority complexes that were created because of um, the conquest. There's just so many things that live in our psyches, psyches around, you know, whether we're, you know, our worth and like how how we deem ourselves as worthy or not. And so I, I feel you like because in many ways, um, even as I talked to, you know, as I wrote about it. I realized that as a someone as a, that's also a part of, of capitalism, it's hard to like also not hustle, right? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we need money to survive. That's everyone, and but it's really about finding a balance between ha- taking what you need or what you want from your job or you know profession and and working and getting the the necessary means to survive and you know and flourish versus making that your whole life's goal you know Mm. like and never really reconnecting with like just the worthiness that you have just for being you just for your Mm. existence how magical and like spiritual it is that you are existing in this moment you know like I'm a very spiritual person so I always feel 
like in awe whenever I think about like the fact that we are existing right now at the same time and we're having this conversation. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's just epic because yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like there's so many things that could have happened differently for us to never meet. And yet we're here. And, and I, and I don't take that for granted. And part of that is because I, I think I really value that, you know, my existence as valuable just because I am. Yeah. And not because of the things that I've accomplished. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, some people have also mentioned like, well, you know, it's easy to say that once you're like already successful, you kind of have like things lined up and like, but, sure. <laughs> you know, but it's like, well, yeah, but it's also like, you know, it's not like I don't fall into that thinking of myself as like an imposter as well. You know, even yeah. in this work, I'm like, what am I even doing? Like, what is it? You know, am I even making an impact? You know, like I still struggle with that. And so it's just a different struggle. And I think it's yeah. all about just finding that balance between like not letting yourself just be a a tool for capitalism, you know, but also to like reflect on your community and, and what you can offer our, each other and, you know, how we can better love one another while we're here. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that mindset and that outlook because not only like, how do we end up here like even right now for example but that's even you can go back like generations and generations like how many of our ancestors had to go with go through what they went through that you know how many things lined up to you know generations later bring us here now like that's also like something that wows me that just kind of yeah like you think about you know decades hundreds centuries ago to now like all those little paths and how those paths could have gone any which other way, but they came here. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I love that mindset. I love that outlook that, that you're fascinated with that, that you're just like, <laughs> you're very much like present. <laughs> like it's a very cool, it's yeah. Right. Well, it's, it's good. And I think it's healthy too. Cause you know, if you're going back and forth between a depression, anxiety, it's like, it's like, no, let's actually take a breath. Like, like, like let's embrace the now, you know, cause otherwise, you know, it's, it's fine to like reflect, you know, from the past and then to, to plan moving forward, but you can't like live there because otherwise mm -hmm. you'll go crazy. So, right. um, where it's just hard to dig yourself back, you know, back out. Mm -hmm. So this is your first book, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah. what were like, um, biggest lessons learned or is there anything that you would do differently? Um, man, like it's so interesting you asked that because even recently when I was, um, reading the book, it was, it's going to be on, um, audio as well. And so I was had to reread the whole thing, right? As I'm okay, yeah, because you're narrating it, right? <laughs> right. And so I was like, I was like, okay, like even reading it, I'm just like, wow, like two years, Alma, like she was going through stuff. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> I just feel so much just empathy for even like yeah. where I was when I was writing this book. You know what I the message that I had because I was living it, like in the in I was very in the moment, and I just one of the things that about my process that a lot of people don't know is that a therapist of mine that I've been seeing for a long time, like they actually supported my whole process of writing the book. And I would like read chapters and like just sob, you know, and just kind of like, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it to the book, obviously, because sure, there's yeah. just, like, a lot of like things that I was like, not ready to like, put yeah. all <laughs> but you know, there was like, I would just like was processing a lot of this thing, a lot of these things in real life, like in the moment. And so a lot of it, that's why it's so vulnerable. And I think it captured this time in my life where I'm, I just like really get into it, you know, and, and I'm just like super passionate and I still am. Like, I feel like even, you know, as I, as I read it, I was like, man, like 
yeah, I still kind of believe some of those mm-hmm. things. And then some of the other things, I'm just like, wow, I was really going through it right there. Yeah. Like, I'm really <laughs> struggling. And also, like, that's fine, because that was just part of my process at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and that's, and part of that growth and 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 healing is like, letting go of like my perfectionist, like tendencies to be like, man, like, I should have like done this, this way and that that way. And instead, I'm just letting Two years ago, Alma, she yeah. had that story. Yeah. And since then I read it again and and I'm I feel like I'm a little farther away from that like immediate hurt and trauma. And I'm more mm. like just empathizing with that, you know, and and hoping that that's people that read it are also met there because I really feel like, you know, when you're going through a lot of stuff, it's hard. And if you can find someone that kind of sounds this, like they're going through the same thing, it can bring so much relief that you're like not alone and not yeah, absolutely. with your crazy thoughts. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, some of the thoughts that I even list on there, like questions that I, that will come up. I'm just like, wow, like I really like, you know, like, yeah. I guess I'm like psycho, psychoanalyzing my, you know, my book, all like my stories <laughs> and realizing like, wow, I was really thinking about it in that very yeah. specific way. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's okay. a good thing though. Yeah. I feel like your, your book would have turned out, it would have been a much different book had you written it like now, for example, or even like two years prior to that, it would, it, yeah. you know, it would have been a different book. So like, I think, I think it was good that you were going through some stuff because it was giving you more fuel, like more, more to share, more, more figuring out more ways to share it. So maybe hopping off of that a little bit, what a two part question, what were the, um, most challenging parts to write and then the most enjoyable parts? Like you kind of, you kind of touched on it here and there, mm-hmm. but, um, if you had to name one of each, what, what, what would it be? Yeah. So I think the chapter six, where I talk about being pushed out of, Mihanes and like re-envisioning my identity was probably my favorite like I feel like in this chapter I finally got to a place where I was like okay I need to just like stop trying to um you know like battle myself in terms of like <laughs> this is me this is not me you know and kind of like going back and forth and I had this realization of like it is all me you know and and that's okay and I could be all of it and also um you know getting back in touch with like just that feeling of being a miha of the divine and what that means to me as opposed to identifying with like my catholic upbringing or like my christian kind of uh, you know protestant like adulthood and like all the stuff that happened in between that you know the questioning and all of that just letting myself just at the end of the day you know being a miha of the divine means that i have a direct relationship with creator and with all of the spiritual world and that just brought so much like peace and joy to to just to write and like to think about you know and and to envision like in a different way and so I loved that chapter I feel like I'm that was one of the more fun chapters to write um and I think if I you know if I had to like pick which one was hard um or, or like a little bit more challenging for me. It was definitely chapter seven. I even like when I was recording it, like, uh, you know, with the audio, I was like, wow, this chapter is real short. 
<laughs> I think I think in part it's because I want to be like, okay, and that's it. Like I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> you know, that's where I talk about like a lot of my wounds and like a lot of my like you know, like healing from sexual abuse and just like going through that and what that did to me and my mm. relationship with father figures and that sort of thing. And it was really uncomfortable to like talk about that chapter. It's it's kind of brief for that reason. I it was a lot more harder to bear and to like really think through but I also just you know I also know the statistics of just the n- amounts of women that go through this and mm-hmm. I just wanted I could I just didn't feel like it would have been com- I would have been honest if I hadn't shared that like yeah at the end of the day because this is one of those things where like I really kind of sat down and talked to a lot of people about like whether I should share or not oh, okay and one of the things that I realized was like yeah, I should absolutely share. There's so many women that go through this. You know, maybe it wasn't exactly how my experience was, but it like really impacts our own mental health. And that's who suffers most from depression and anxiety is women. And a lot of that has to do with our toxic patriarchal society and the ways Mm. that it like imprints into young men that like we could, they could do certain things to women and and, like like, the toxic kind of reproduction of all of that, those gender roles. And so I ultimately decided like, yeah, it, it, this is not this is like not really being honest. If I don't say this, this is like such a big part of like why I even took on the book that I was like, I need I need to say this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The cover book cover is so beautiful. Oh, how okay. how did that process go for you? Like, did you have a vision board? How did we collaboration, all that stuff? Yeah. So but I love it. Thank you so much. One of my friends did it for me. She is incredibly just gifted in in her art. She she is um her name so her artist name is Young Mer and she has a lot of her work on Instagram. Um you can find her at Young Mer Y O U N G M E R. And she actually recently gave a whole blurb of like what the whole cover means. Um oh. so like there was intention in all of it, like the colors yeah. And like the flowers that she use uses, it's like a Mexican sunflower and what it represented for the Aztecs and currently, you know, like like what it symbolizes mm. and the agave in the back and what that symbolized, you know. And so the maguey, you know, that's that's another word for it. And so it's just a lot of it was her really a process of me telling her the vision for the book and how I just wanted to see like intergenerational healing and just wanting to like connect to my roots and also like understand my background from the perspective of survivance and what that means moving forward as like owning both like my Mexica side, but also like the fact that, you know, there's, there's Afro descendiente and like indígena blood in, in all of us as well, you know? And so she was just really like encouraged by like the work that I told her I was doing. And she just took it, you know, like she, she asked for like, a picture of me and and she read some of it and that's what she came up with you know and she had a few other concept ideas um and she shared all of this with you know all the publishing and everyone as soon as they saw this one was like this one's it like this oh uh, you no know? like it just resonated so much for yeah. a lot of us and i mean i have a cousin who does prints and that you know like really high art kind of prints and 
even he was like whoa this is like a, such beautiful art like mm-hmm. like he ended up like reprinting it and he was like people like would love this like i think you should yeah. just sell the print itself and yeah. I, was like, hey. <laughs> I was like oh no if people want to have my face but okay it was, but yeah I like your album thing. cover you know <laughs> <laughs> right no, i do I, no that's so awesome that she put so much thought into it like the little meetings because the people who who recognize those symbols like that will mm-hmm. they'll get it you know yeah. that's yeah i just no because i remember i was like yeah if i saw that on a bookshelf i'd be like oh i mean just the title alone obviously but like, like <laughs> yeah you know but no at the t- the cover art absolutely is just so eye catching eye catching and vibrant and I, I just like love it i love that it you know it's meaningful too what advice do you have for young Chigonas or those who have yet to embrace that label? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, one of the things that I've heard as I've kind of talked more about my work to different people is some folks really taking issue with the term. Um, I When I was giving, I had the book launch in Los Angeles um, two days ago, a few days ago here in, the begin- in, the, in early November. And someone shared with me that they've been wanting to like invite me to their campus, but that there's like some people that really want to censor that word because they feel mm. like that it's, it's very negative and like not symbolic of all Latinas or, you know, it, it just vulgar, whatever it is. And I think that that's kind of true. And I, mm. that's, and that wasn't a choice on purpose because I am aware that to some Latino populations and in my experience, um, and I'm going to keep saying this until I'm proven wrong, <laughs> is that a lot of it has to has less to do with the Latin, like which Latin American country you're from, whether you feel comfortable with this, and more to do with your socioeconomic status. So people mm. who are much higher income and wealthy are taking issue with it. Um, because <laughs> it just is a lot much of a dirtier word. Yeah, like, it really makes them uncomfortable or they... Background. Yeah, yeah. Like, working class background Mexicanas were just like, what you mean? Like, literally, my parents called me this. Like, this, it's fine, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, it's not fine, but it's like, you know, yeah. it's, it's very common and it's not that kind of a word. And someone even, like, asked me if it was comparable to, like, the N-word in that, you know, like, some populations in the Black community are okay with that and some aren't. I'm like, I don't know that it's comparable to that. I feel yeah, like people are know. making it people yeah. are making it way more complicated than it needs to be. Um all I mean I would, is badass. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's almost on on par with like or at least my understanding of it, like with my familiarity like cabrona or cabron yeah. almost. Like what is it like oh hey jackass? It's like it's you know, it's almost like okay. Um, badass or like or for women it's used as a different in a different context but right. i don't know it's almost like you know white white women reclaiming the word bitch i don't know like it's exactly just... that's what i said i was like it's kind yeah. of like the word the c word i don't know if i can say it on here okay. um, <laughs> c-u-n-t it's, it's, go for it whatever you okay. want <laughs> so you know like when it was reclaimed by the whole mm. feminist movement it's yeah. similar to that it's it's yeah. I'm doing the same thing that's all i meant by it <laughs> Yeah, I right. Don't and know why it's becoming such a. I think like, I, I know it is. It's you know, there's always people who are gonna clutch their pearls and like, <laughs> you <laughs> <Exactly>. know, <but laughs> it does like going off of the cunt word. I think it's like the one thing you could think about is like they don't people don't use that to describe a weak woman, you know. So it's right. like that's another one way to look at it. It's like you know what, mm-hmm. like yeah, if I'm just a little too much for you, and that's the word that you want to use, then. 
you know, haha jokes on you because it's really I don't care almost. It's like yeah, okay, it's okay, it's showing like that you can't handle me. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh well, like I'm not. Yeah, it's just I've I've got too much other things to worry about than what you know making right. you comfortable. Yeah, it is tricky, but yeah, like you said, like you chose that title for a reason because you want mm-hmm. you needed to just boom in your face this is what we're gonna learn what is what we're gonna do today like (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. what is next for you do you have any upcoming projects or you know any other ideas anything else that you want to you want to think about working on in the future yeah so i mean immediately next what's been happening is just having a lot of book signing events um and kind of you know wanting to get my work out there Mm-hmm. people to know about this work and so that's kind of the immediate things um I think longer term I really enjoyed the book writing process um my publishers even like okay whenever you're ready like we're next we're ready for the next oh yeah <laughs> and I'm just like yeah I'm gonna take my own advice on chingona maybe wait a few years <laughs> right <laughs> you know just get some rest yeah and, yeah, you know. you're like still kind of riding the coattails <laughs> off of this one. You're gonna see how it goes and yeah. take your time. The, yeah, when when it'll when it'll strike you, it will strike you when when you when it's time. Yeah. yeah. In the publishing world, it's very um, you know, it takes a long time from like the moment that you think of something to the time. I mean, this is a three-year project that is finally yeah. out, you know. And so yeah. in some ways I understand the urgency of like because it's gonna take that much more time again yeah. <laughs> in other ways i'm just like uh i'm really enjoying this i just want to be able to just relax for a while right and just, yeah you know, and you've here. earned it don't worry <laughs> about it <laughs> yeah but yeah other than that i mean i i still work full-time at a nonprofit uh that's based out of uh san francisco that supports first gen uh working class background students and i teach at usc um a class on equity as well so you okay. know, I, I'm pretty busy. Even when yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your schedule is full for for the time being. We're like, you're good, <laughs> you're good. <laughs> um, real quick before we sign off, uh, can you share like your um website and social media for people to follow? Yeah, it's super easy because it's the same across all platforms. It's at the doc zp, d o c z p. So the docs ZP at Instagram, at Twitter. Um, I try to make it really easy. And then that's also my <laughs> website dot dot com. So oh, perfect. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Alma Zero goes the petty. Chingona owning your inner badass for healing and justice is available now. Go get it. Um, thank you so much. This was such an awesome conversation and rest easy because, because you've earned a break, you know, <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much. And thanks for having me. And there you have it. That was Alma Zaragoza Petty. We're talking about Chingona owning your inner badass for healing and justice. That book is available now. Please rate, review, subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Cantina Book Club and the Nerd Cantina. You can look in the show notes for links to follow her on social media on her website and to purchase the book. Um, And feel free to reach out if you ever need a book recommendation. You can also check out my book reviews and other author interviews on the nerdcantina.com. As always, thanks for listening.